Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. Hey, good morning, everybody. We want to welcome you to Grace Crossing Church this morning. We're beginning a brand new series today entitled Confessions. Our band's going to come back here uh, in a few moments and lead us in a couple of more songs, but I wanted to provide us a kind of an overview and a frame for this series before we launch into our first confession here in just a few moments. Someone has said that confession is good for the soul, and I suspect the person who said that was someone who actually experienced the value that comes from confession. It's actually a biblical term and a biblical idea. And, uh, and so one of the things that we're going to do in this series is we're going to look at some confessions that actually uh, I connected with during my 40 days of renewal. There are two things that I did uh, in a kind of a spiritual way to set a tone for my 40 days, and I spent time every day doing them. Uh, the first thing that I did was I, was I journaled in my own life some of my interior thoughts and some of the deep thoughts out of my heart. Now, I have journaled from time to time, but I took the 40 days of renewal to actually journal every single day some things that I was feeling, some things that I was thinking, some, some uh, maybe attitudes that I needed to come to terms with in my life. And, and in this uh, series, Confessions, I'm going to tie in some of those personal confessions with the confessions that we find in an Old Testament book that is presumably authored by one of the great kings of Israel. His name was Solomon. He was actually the son of David who is in the royal line of Jesus Christ. So he was a prominent king, and this was a prominent book. It's actually a journal that was written at the end of his life when he was looking back on his kingdom and all of the wonderful things that he had done and that he had accomplished. A guy who had absolutely everything that you could imagine in life and yet still found himself pretty empty. And so as I read Solomon's journal entitled Ecclesiastes, I'm going to share some of the thoughts in this series that Solomon really picks up on in this book, and we're also going to talk about, again, some of the personal things in my own life and heart. Now, in the handout you received this morning, there's a part for you to participate. Every week, there's going to be a chance for you, as part of this series, to spend a few moments confessing to God as it relates to the theme of the day. So I want you to keep your, your handout uh, in close proximity to you and keep a pen. And as we journey through this day today, there's going to be some thoughts that I want you to write down. And then there's going to be some questions, some diagnostic questions that I want to give you at the end of today's talk that you can respond to in a personal confession to God. Now, one of the verses that the Lord used to really frame my 40 days of renewal is found in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. It says, continue working out your salvation with awe and reverence. For the one bringing forth in you both the desire and the effort for the sake of his good pleasure is God. There are several uh, really important principles that I think these verses teach us that I want to share with you as we again provide a framework for this series. The first thing that I think is suggested in this text is that salvation is a very personal and a very individual experience. 
If you go back to the original language and you actually would translate this verse from the original Greek text, it would actually say this. You continually work out God working in you. Here's the reality. Salvation is a personal experience where God wants each and every one of us to continuously work out our salvation, which I think is it also brings a second principle into light this morning, and that is this, that salvation is not a superficial activity. Salvation is actually an activity of God that interfaces with the core of our person and the core of our being. It is actually about God working at the deepest level of our whole person. Your whole person includes your physical life. It includes your emotional life. It includes your spiritual life. It includes your intellectual life, and it includes your social life. Every part of our being is to be touched by God's salvation. And I think also it brings this principle into light. That salvation is not an event. Salvation is the person of God interfacing with our person. Dr. Richard Dobbins provides us what I believe is perhaps the most spot-on definition for salvation. Salvation is a power or an influence that flows from the presence of God, impacting on our minds to think in terms of thoughts, fantasies, and ideas that enhance our divine potential. We so often think of salvation as a moment in time, as an event, and we're missing it when we do that. Salvation is God's interaction with our person and our soul every moment of every day, working at the deepest fabric of our life and of our being. And let me tell you, when I'm doing a good job working out my salvation, my wife can tell. My children can tell. And when I'm neglecting working out my salvation, those who know me best and love me most can actually tell that I'm not doing well at working out my salvation. Funny thing about it, so can your spouse, your parents, your children, those who know you best and love you most. Because it is seen in our lives. It is seen in the way that we interact with others Not just how we talk about God, but how we actually represent God and reflect God in our relationships with one another. So let me make a confession at the beginning of this series that actually is actually a bonus confession that's not even part of the series, but it's an important one for me to make. It is easier for me to work out your salvation than it is for me to work out my salvation. And it's much easier for me to work on your salvation than it is for me to work on my salvation. Funny how that works, isn't it? I think every single one of us tend to want to think about how salvation works in the lives of other people, but we so often neglect to think about how God wants to work salvation into the deepest part and the deepest fiber of our being. Another verse that Paul gives us in Philippians chapter 3 is this. I I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection 
What a great confession. But I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Now, many of us in this auditorium are familiar with those verses. And we've, we've actually heard messages, I've delivered messages about those verses. That we are to forget what is behind and look forward to what lies ahead, pressing on. And, and so what we often do is we say, you know what, God wants us to forget everything about our past. And God wants us only to think about our future. And on my sabbatical, I was, I was reading this text in a more reflective and meditative way. Two verses later, it jumped out at me. Something that I had never actually seen before in this text. Here's what it says in verse 16. But we must hold on to the progress that we have already made. If you're like me, you tend to beat yourself up because you're not the person that you wish you were. If you're like me, you tend to be down on your spiritual life so often thinking, man, I have so far to go and I have so much that I've not done yet for God. You know what? I feel that very same thing. That may surprise you, but it's true. I have so much further that God wants me to grow, so many deeper areas that God is digging into my life and in my heart, and and yet what God is saying to me is this, and what he's saying to you is this, don't forget the progress you've already made. Don't forget the wonderful things God has already done for you. Don't forget the measure of grace that God has applied to your life that has allowed salvation to become a part of who you are. And give thanks to God and return thanks to him for who he is and for what he has done for you. And that's what we're going to do this morning. For the next couple of moments, we're going to give God thanks for the progress that we've already made. Before we look at these confessions and we talk about the things that God wants to do in our lives in the future, let's give thanks for the things that God has already done. Regardless of where you find yourself this morning on the spiritual continuum, whether you're here and you're spiritually curious, or whether you are already spiritually Christ-centric and living a Christ-centered life in every way, or you find yourself somewhere in between, God loves you, and God is interacting with you every moment of every day. It's not an accident you're here this morning. You're here because God wants to speak a word to your life, and God wants to connect with your heart. So would you stand with me this morning as our band comes back? And would you join us in singing these choruses of worship to God? And then I'm going to come and I want to just unpack this first confession for us this morning. There are approximately um, 800 leaders that are mentioned by name in the Bible. Of those 800 leaders, we have about information on about 100 of them that we can actually journey with their life from the beginning to the end. Uh, And of those, we actually can see only in about 50 cases how they finished their journey with God. Here's what's interesting about the 50 case studies that we have in the Bible of leaders 
that were called by God and used by God, only one in three, finished the end of their life strong and full of faith in God and completed the task that God had given them to do. That means that 66% of the people that are actually used in the Bible did not finish their race well. I think that's interesting. I appreciate that the Bible doesn't sugarcoat the men and women that are used by God and called by God. I'm grateful that the Bible gives us insight into who they were, their strengths, and their weaknesses. That's certainly true of Solomon, who was one of the most prominent kings of Israel. When we read the beginning of Solomon's life, we read about a king who started out really, really well for the most part. Let's look at what it says. 1 Kings chapter 3, Solomon loved the Lord and he followed all the decrees of his father David except that Solomon too offered sacrifices and burnt incense at the local places of worship. Now these were not places of worship set up for God. The temple had not yet been erected. There was not yet a place that the people were called to go together as God's people and bring sacrifices and burn incense. These were false gods and places of worship that were served by other foreign nations. So Solomon, who starts out loving God, following the decrees of his father, has an exception to the rule. And it is a slippery slope. It is one that begins a journey for him where his heart becomes more and more distant from God and his heart actually wanders away from the very commitment that his father David had had. When David passed the torch to him, David was not a perfect leader. David had his share of failures and his share of mishaps. He had sinned greatly before God. But there's no doubt that David had a heart that was fully committed to the Lord. Not so with Solomon. And so when we come to the end of his life, as he writes his journal, Solomon begins to share some of his deepest thoughts, his honest thoughts about what he felt about life and even what he felt about God. And we can see in the journal that he writes this incredible disconnect between a man who was a king and and his identity was was a godly king, and yet deep within the core of his being there was this separation from the Lord. Listen to just a couple of excerpts from his journal, Ecclesiastes 1. I devoted myself to search for understanding, to explore by wisdom everything being done under heaven. I soon discovered that God has dealt a tragic existence to the human race. He looks at God and he says, God has actually messed with humanity. He goes on to say this in the second chapter of the book of Ecclesiastes, so I came to hate life because everything done here under the sun is so troubling. Do you ever identify with what he's feeling? Everything is meaningless, like chasing The wind, and we'll talk more about that later in this series, but that's a key part of the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 6. Everything has already been decided. It was known long ago what each person would be, so there's no use arguing with God about your destiny. In other words, Solomon had come to a place where he's almost fatalistic about his relationship with God and the fact of how God interacts with human beings. Chapter 8. So I recommend having fun. 
Because there is nothing better for people in the world than to eat, drink, and enjoy life. That way they will experience some happiness along with all the hard work God gives them under the sun. And then chapter 9. Solomon says the same destiny ultimately awaits every person, whether righteous or wicked, good or bad, ceremonially clean or unclean, religious or irreligious. Good people receive the same treatment as sinners, and people who make promises to God are treated like people who don't. Sounds to me like a man who by the end of his life had given up hope and confidence in the goodness of God and the fact that God definitely responds differently to those of us who follow him than he does to those who do not. Now, I know sometimes in life, when we look at life, life doesn't feel fair. Life doesn't feel like God actually loves those of us who serve him, and he actually treats us differently than he does unbelievers. We all have seen people who have had good things come in their life who didn't deserve it. And we've seen a lot of bad people who've had a lot of good things come to their life who also didn't deserve those things. Jesus said that the rain falls on the just and the unjust. The sun shines on the righteous and the unrighteous. So in many ways, what happens in life is part of what we experience in the day-to-day rhythms of existence. But make no mistake about it. God is at work at the deepest part of our being, wanting to connect with us and bring salvation into the deepest part of us. So this morning, I come to you with my very first confession A confession that I think we read about in Ecclesiastes. I think it's one that Solomon makes, and it's one that I want to make to you this morning. Here's the confession. I am not always as spiritual as I appear. Now, that's painful to admit for me. But I suspect I'm in pretty good company this morning. I suspect that you two don't pray as often as you wish you did. I suspect there are times you wish you trusted God more and weren't filled with as much fear and worry and doubt as you are. I suspect there are times that if your thoughts were advertised, you would be ashamed. There are times that if what you said were overheard by another person, you would be totally humiliated and embarrassed. I suspect there are times that each and every one of us in this auditorium are not the person that we wish we were. That we don't live up day in and day out to the person that we so desperately want to be. But going back to what we talked about a little bit earlier, I think this is so important. At the end of our lives, I'm not going to be responsible for how every one of you lived out your salvation. But I am going to be responsible for how I lived out my salvation. How did I let God work at the deepest part of my being? You will not be responsible for how your kids live their lives, how your parents live their lives, how your spouse lives his or her life. But what you will be responsible for is your life. And I can resonate so well with the confession that Paul the Apostle makes in Romans chapter 7 when he says this. I think we'll all resonate with it. I don't really understand myself. For I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. 
But if I know that what I am doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I am not the one doing wrong. It is the sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me. That's such an honest confession from Paul, and I appreciate it. That is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It is the sin living in me that does it. I have discovered this principle in life, that when I want to do what is right, inevitably I do what is wrong. I love God's law with all of my heart. But there is another power within me that is at war in my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person that I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and by death? You know, one of the greatest tragedies of church life is that we walk into church every single week and we look around at people who come and we think, man, they are so much more spiritual than I am. If I could only be like them, if I could only act like them, if I could only pray or have their faith, reality is this. Every single one of us are on a journey and are wrestling with our sin nature. Now, it may come in a different manifestation for each one of us, but make no mistake about it. And Paul says this in Romans chapter 10. He says, as the scripture says, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good, not a single one of us. No one, not one, not a single person is actually good enough for God's love and for God's forgiveness. That means that every single pastor, every single priest, every pope, that has ever lived, no matter how what your faith background is and no matter what you may have thought, those individuals are simply not sinless. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And every single one of us need a constant flow of God's grace and God's forgiveness in our hearts. And I hope this morning, if nothing else, that's liberating for you. I hope that's freeing for you to know that when you struggle with sin, you're not alone. That when you battle with thoughts that you wish weren't there, you're not alone. When you say things you regret, you're not alone. All have sinned. There are none righteous. No, not one. So what do we do with the reality that we're not always as spiritual as we want to be or as we appear to be? Well, I think there are three things I want to share with you this morning that I, I pray will God will use to bring freedom and liberty to your heart like he has my heart. Number one, I think it's important to know that, that, that you are only as spiritual as you are honest. I am only as spiritual as I am honest. I'm only as spiritual as I am honest with God. I'm only as spiritual as I am honest with myself. And I'm only as spiritual as I am honest with one another, with you. I'm going to read to you a confession. One that I wrote on June the 10th. And as I wrote this confession, 
I think some of us will resonate with it. Today I've been wondering, what would happen if I stood before our church and confessed my failings and my shortcomings as a pastor? What if I acknowledge that I'm not always as spiritual as I appear? What if I publicly confessed that I don't always submit to God's will and I'm often more consumed with doing what I want to do than doing what God wants? What if I publicly confess that I sometimes fail to practice what I preach, though I believe it to be truth? What if I confessed that I battle with pride and anger and greed and lust and fail at times with the battle? What if I acknowledge that I'm a flawed leader? I have blind spots and weaknesses that threaten my credibility and have the potential to spoil my character and discredit the ministry that God has entrusted to me. I just did. Because in reality, every single leader is a broken leader. Every single leader is a flawed leader. And every single leader needs a constant and steady stream of dependence on the grace and forgiveness that comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. And one of the dangers of being in ministry is that we can think we live above it. We think that we no longer need to depend on God. We can do it ourselves. And it's a danger. I think this idea of being honest for being spiritual is so filled and so, uh, so woven through the fabric of Scripture. Listen to what 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 7 says. This has to do with being honest before God. This is the message that we've heard from him and we declare to you. God is light. In him there's no darkness at all. Notice there's no secrets. There's no hidden agendas. Nobody pretends a false, false pretense to be what they are not. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and we do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, purifies us from all sin. Honest with God. John goes on to say we've got to be honest with ourselves, verses 8 through 10. If we claim, listen, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim that we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. The next time you are tempted to pretend you are a person you aren't, remember that every time that we claim to be without sin, we actually discredit the grace of God. We make God out to be a liar, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And we also need to be honest with each other. Here's what James writes in James chapter 5. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that God can heal you. When a believing person prays, great things happen. Many of you prayed for my wife and I during the 40 days of renewal. Don't stop. We need your prayers. I need your prayers. If I'm going to be the person and the pastor and the leader that God wants me to be, I need to know that God's people are praying for me just like I'm praying for them. 
You know what's so interesting about this is that confession combined with prayer produces healing. Think about it. It works the same way in your physical life. I was at the doctor three times this past week. I've never been at the doctor three times in a year. And yet I got this upper respiratory thing on Monday, and then I got an eye infection on Wednesday, and I had a routine kind of just a a preventative exam that I had to have taken care of. Um, And it's amazing. When you go to a doctor for physical needs, you are confessing you're sick. You're acknowledging that you have a need. And as you confess that need and you admit that there's a, there's a problem in your life, that doctor can prescribe a remedy that can bring healing to your physical body. The same thing happens in our spiritual life. When we confess our faults one to another and pray for one another, guess what happens? Great things happen. Healing can begin to take place at the deepest part of our being. And so if we're going to be spiritual, we've got to first and foremost be honest. The second thing I want you to know this morning is that you and I are only as spiritual as we are dependent on God. We are only as spiritual as we are dependent on God. Let me read you another excerpt that I wrote on May the 30th. I said this in my journal. I'm realizing in a fresh way that I am only as good as I am dependent on God. The wounds from my past, personal, family, and ministry, have helped shape me into the man that I am, the man that God wants me to be. Like Jacob who had to wrestle with God to get a blessing, I too must be willing to wrestle with God. I also must be willing to walk like Jacob did with a limp and not be too proud to admit my weaknesses. Learning to depend on God also means I must learn to depend on those that God has placed around me. I cannot be threatened to lean into the strength of others. I must accept my limitations and learn to trust more fully in those that God has given me to cover my weaknesses. I think in all of our lives, we are only as spiritual as we are dependent on the Lord to help us. Paul writes this in 1 Timothy, one of the final letters that he pens, He says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength, that he has considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. I love what he says here. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and who would receive eternal life. Can you imagine Paul the Apostle who penned 13 or 14 letters of the New Testament standing and admitting at the end of his life, I have been the worst of all sinners. Of all people who deserve God's grace, I don't. Of all people who deserve to be in God's service, I don't. But God called me and God's grace was applied to my heart and God gave me freedom and liberty. And though I'm the the worst of all sinners, 
God has forgiven me. It's a hard thing to admit, isn't it? I'm the worst. Nobody wants to be the worst at anything. But Paul admitted it. And I agree with him. Of all the sinners at Grace Crossing Church, your pastor's the worst. He needs more forgiveness. He needs more grace. God has forgiven me of my past. And I'm so grateful for so many things that the Lord has done in my life. You say, Pastor, how could you say that? It's because the 40 days gave me a new image and a new perspective on my life. And the fact that, you know what? I am absolutely dependent and flawed, and I need God each and every day, and I can never live above that idea. I must walk humbly before him, and I must walk, as all of us must, in complete dependency on God. One final thing I would share with us. We are only as spiritual as we are repentant. We are only as spiritual as we are repentant. I want you to hear these words, the final verse this morning, James chapter 4. Submit therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and God will draw near to you. That's God's promise to each and every one of us this morning. The idea of submitting ourselves to God is the idea of turning over to God everything. And putting ourselves under his authority and under his leadership. This word resistant is actually a medical term from which we get the term antihistamine. It means to stave off and resist those receptors that actually cause us to fail and to be tempted. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and God makes a promise. God will draw near. To you. This morning I want you to take your hand out. And I want you to write down in this, as the band leads us in this final song, I want to pray. I want you to write down three questions this morning on your handout. The first question is this. Have I fully submitted my life to God? Have I fully submitted my life to God? Secondly, where am I failing? Where am I failing to resist the devil? To fight off his temptations? Finally, am I living daily near God or far from Him? Am I living daily near God or far from Him? God used one of the prophets to speak in the Old Testament to the people of Israel. Here's what He said. Your words are close to me, but your heart is far from me. More than anything, God wants us. He wants our hearts. He wants us to be fully surrendered, fully submitted, fully repentant before Him.
this morning, I know that every one of us in this auditorium have things that we need to confess to God. We're not as spiritual as we often appear. We need to tell God that this morning. We need to say, Lord, I need your forgiveness and I need your grace. And so in the next couple of moments as the band just quietly plays and then they're going to dismiss us and we'll lead us out of here, but I, I want you to take just a few moments and I want you to reflect on what we've shared today. And I want you to write that area that God speaks to your heart about. Maybe there's multiple areas. But would you confess to God today? Would you be honest with God about your own shortcomings? About the areas you need God's help in today? Take just a few moments, and then I'll pray. Oh, to grace, Lord, how great a sinner daily I'm constrained to be. Let your goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to you. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Take and seal it, Lord. Seal it for your courts above. I pray that prayer for each and every one of us today, Lord. I ask that we will know you in a more intimate way, that salvation will work at a deeper level in the core of our lives. I pray, God, that we would be honest with you and honest with ourselves and honest with one another so that we can be truly right with God. Thank you for the forgiveness that comes when we confess our sins to you and the healing that comes when we confess them one to another. And Lord, may we pray for one another and may we lift one another to your throne of grace where we may find help and strength in our time of need. I pray, Lord, that you will bless each of us as we're honest with you and as we do an inventory of our hearts and our lives throughout this day today and throughout this week. Thank you for your love and thank you for your grace. We love you and we bless you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being part of our worship service today. We pray God's blessing on you as you respond to him in a very honest and transparent way. Have a great afternoon. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Grace Crossing Church, including service times and directions, check us out on the web at www.gracecrossingchurch.net. We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.